0: Sola Scriptura, a Latin phrase um, that is used by people of Reformed theology, Calvinists, conservative Lutherans, and Presbyterians. Sola Scriptura. Anybody know what it means? Only Scripture. The Bible alone. And it is the idea from 500 years ago in the Protestant Reformation that we get truth from only the Bible not the traditions that had snowballed through the medieval period in the Catholic Church that ended up where, in Martin Luther's day, the Catholic Church was selling salvation for money. And you had to do penance. And all these rules and traditions and teachings that are nowhere in the Bible, Uh, and Martin Luther revolted against that and we had the protestant reformation and so those who uh, have a reformation theology use this phrase only scripture to mean that only the bible has authority in our lives only the bible contains truth the bible is the authoritative word of god i think that probably mostly i'm preaching to the choir this morning and and you're thinking well okay Um, haven't heard anything new yet. Just roll with me. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. Second Timothy 3 14 and 17 says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it and how from youngest childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. It came out of God's mouth. We know that it was written by numerous different men over a period of at least 2,500 years, but it all came from God's mouth, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that every person, every believer may be thoroughly equipped this book is all that we need for knowing God and knowing what he requires and who he has said he is and what he will do next screen is the same verse in a different translation brings out a different word But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught you know they are true for you can, you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This translation uses the word inspired, the word inspired means inspirited. God's spirit is in this book. Hello? Inspired means to be taken over by a spirit. Inspirited, in spirit means breath, which the NIV said all scripture is God breathed. It's the same Greek word, just different ways to translate it in English, that this scripture, this book, was breathed out by God, spoken by his voice, as the men wrote what they wrote. And said what they said. We can trust it. Yes. And it is the authority. Psalm 19, King David says this The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. David uses the words law, testimony, statutes, commandments, and judgments. I want to group all those together and just say the Word of God. Yes, those are all parts of the Word of God. The Word of God is perfect, converting the soul. The Word of God is sure, making wise the simple. The The Word of the Lord is right, rejoicing the heart. The Word of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is clean, enduring forever. And the word of the Lord is true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, more than fu- much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Amen. Amen. In Amos, Old Testament prophet, um, chapter 7, he tells of the, a vision that he had where the Lord shows him a plumb line. And this is a This is a plumb line. This is called the bob, and this string or rope is used to find perfect vertical. And when you build a wall out of something other than studs, you have to have a plumb line. So masonry or stone walls, like in the Bible days, they would hang a plumb line, and then as they worked their way up a wall that sometimes might be 80 or 100 feet high, they would keep the exact same distance between the corner of the stone and the plumb line, and it kept the wall perfectly vertical. Sometimes, if they didn't do it right, or if the earth shifted or the foundation moved for some reason, um, and the wall shifted, it had to completely come down and be rebuilt. And Amos, in chapter 7, God shows him that Israel had been built plumb, but it's now crooked and I'm going to dismantle the entire wall. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. And the Lord said, look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. The specifics of Amos' prophecy are not my point this morning. I just want to tell you that the Bible is God's plumb line against your heart. The Word of God, the Scripture, the Bible, is God's plumb line, and He holds that against your heart. And it is impossible for a plumb line to be crooked. Even our bubble levels that we use when we, when we build a wall out of studs and sheetrock, there's a little bit of give and take there. You know, that bubble, you want to get it between the lines, but we fudge quite a little bit, you know. And the older your house is, the more you know. It's not, it ain't square and straight and vertical anywhere. But God's word is the plumb line, and your heart either matches it or not. Not the other way around. The Bible is the plumb line of God. We are judged by it. We are compared to it not the other way around. The Bible is so authoritative. I mean, this book governs the universe. This is the code of laws for the entire universe, physical and spiritual. This book has so much authority that even God has to obey it. Even God must obey this book. Check this out from Psalm 89. I will not allow my faithfulness to fail, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips once I have sworn by my holiness. God says, I cannot, I will not break my word. What I have spoken, I will do. I am not allowed to change my mind later and do something different. Numbers 23:19 I'm talking about the Bible has so much authority that even God has to obey what he said. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? If this is the word of God, then God must do it. It's that authoritative. Hebrews 6, 17, and 18. I'm not usually a fan of the message, but I, this translation makes it plain. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word. A rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. Amen. 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 And lastly, this is the clearest verse that shows what I mean when I say God has to obey the Bible. Psalm 138 eight two. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth for you have exalted your word above all your name. God says my word ranks above my name. You've heard me talk about this scripture before but what I mean is that God in his sovereignty cannot wake up one morning in a bad mood or change his mind from 3,000 years ago and pull out his God card and say I can do whatever I want. I'm God. I'm the sovereign, so I'll do whatever I want. No, he is bound by this. He must do what he has said he will do. And he cannot do anything else. And he will not. Amen. Amen. That's how authoritative the Bible is. That's how perfect it is. The Bible, we say that it is inspired which literally means to have a spirit put in it, to be breathed into. God breathed it out of his mouth and onto these pages. Inspired means that the people who wrote it were not writing their own ideas. They weren't writing their own interpretations. They weren't writing oral history. They weren't writing mythology. They weren't writing mistaken uh, ideas, about something that happened that they couldn't explain so they called it a miracle it is the Word of God it is inspired by God and every word it is not Isaiah's or Jeremiah's or Paul's or Peter's it is the Word of God it is straight from his mouth Second Peter 1 20 and 21 above all you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophets own understanding or from human initiative no Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. In no way did Paul go into a trance and just start writing stuff that he didn't think. If you've ever done automatic writing, you need to repent of that and get delivered of that demon. It's a thing that occult people do. They will surrender their hand to a demon and they'll automatically write stuff. That isn't the way God works. God works through our own experience and our own understanding and our own faith. So Isaiah knew what he was writing. Moses knew what he was writing. David knew what he was writing. They weren't in a trance, off in some spiritual zombie land, and God just took over the pen. But in the cases of the words that we have, it was inspired. I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. All right. Also, another word about, regarding the Bible is inerrant. It, it, there are no errors. We haven't lost anything. There isn't anything extra. There isn't anything that doesn't apply anymore. Hello. Well, that was cultural then, but but that would be a mistake to believe that now. No, it is completely inerrant in its original language as we have it. Now the translations, there are a lot of them translating it in English and we have to translate the Bible into every language except I guess the Greeks can read their own New Testament. but no even the Jews don't speak Old Testament Hebrew anymore. They don't even speak Aramaic, which is the New Testament version of Hebrew. So with I guess with the exception of Greek, uh, every person in the world would have to have the Bible translated and so there's argument about, how to do that, You know what word is accurate in this point, but all that is done in public with fierce scholarly debate over this word in that verse, and this word in that verse, and this translation, and this manuscript, it's all out in the line and in public, and if you own six Bibles, you're safe, I mean seriously, you can read them all, and you're, you can compare the words that are there, and you're not going to be misled, all right? Um, if you only owned the New Living and the Passion and the Message, you don't actually own a translation. Um, you should probably have a New King James or an ESV, or uh, NRSV is probably pretty decent at word-for-word word actual translation. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend that you read only NLT or or Passion or Message because they're idea translations rather than word for word translations but, but it's okay. Translation is what it is and, and all every nation, tribe and tongue has to have the Bible translated. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's done publicly and it's not one person in secret writing what they think this means and misleading a whole nation or a whole language group. That's, but that doesn't happen. So in its, in its form that we have it is inerrant. There is no fact there is no detail in this book that is not true it is historically true it is scientifically true it is morally true it is literarily true and literally true it is it is complete the bible is complete we just read in 2nd timothy that it is everything we need To live a life of godliness. So when I say it's complete, I don't mean that this is everything that there is to know. Because the Bible itself said it isn't. John at the end of his gospel says, if I wrote everything Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the books. But this is enough. That's what I mean by complete. It's enough. This is all we need to know. The other stuff that Jesus did in private was personal to those people that he healed or taught or interacted with, apparently. We know that this book is not everything there is to know about God because God says for eternity we will be going from glory to glory. Yes. For a bazillion years, every day he will show us something new. Yes. And we'll go, wow, that's amazing. And a million years later, he'll like, I got something new to show you today. Like, whoa, God, that's awesome. And the next day, like, God, there can't possibly anything else new. Yeah, let me show you this. You're beautiful. So. I don't mean this is complete in amount. I mean it is complete in that it is enough. There's reasons why God didn't explain everything, like all the details of what's in heaven, or where do demons come from, you know? Or how did Jesus walk on water? You know that kind of stuff. It just—it's enough to know that He did, and we're required to believe. It is the revelation of God. I mean that this tells us who God is. God has revealed himself in this book this way. It is the commands of God, the promises of God, the wisdom of God, and it is the salvation of God. And anywhere the Bible clashes with the world, anywhere, in any way, the Bible clashes with what the world says about history or science or culture or family or sexual boundaries or gender roles, the Bible is true and the world is wrong. Anywhere, the Bible clashes with the world about history, science, culture, family, sexual boundaries, gender roles. The Bible is true and the world is wrong. Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. So when God says, I created the earth in six days, 6,000 years ago, he's right. And the scientists are wrong. They weren't there and he was. When God says I parted the Red Sea and the Israelites walked through on dry land. And the unbelievers think, well, maybe they walked walked over on a bed of reeds. Or they went through where it was really shallow. God says I parted it with a wind and they walked through on dry land. The Bible is true and every man is a liar. When the Bible says that Jesus mother was a physical virgin. She was. When it says Jesus physically raised from the dead, that's true. When the Bible says wives submit to husbands, that isn't ancient world misogyny. That is God's command because it's right. And it is the only right way. When the Bible gives sexual boundaries for one man and one woman for one lifetime, that is all there is. Everything else is sin would like to say more but we have little kids in the room I don't want to get in trouble with their parents for the questions they would ask later but you know what I mean when the Bible says Jesus will physically return on a white horse and rule the planet from Jerusalem it's going to happen it isn't mythology it isn't metaphor sola scriptura only the Bible but those of Reformed theology, the Calvinists who came up with that phrase, I don't know why we have to speak in Latin, but they do. So, okay, I'll play their game. 500 years ago, sola scriptura means we don't follow all the Catholic traditions. I don't have to go and confess my sins to a priest, for have him forgive me. I confess my sins to God to have him forgive me. I don't have to buy my way out of purgatory because purgatory doesn't exist. Um, and I certainly don't have to pay for my salvation when Jesus already did. 500 years ago, that's what Sola Scriptura meant. But now what John MacArthur and Jeff Durbin mean when they they say Sola Scriptura, they mean we only need the Bible. We don't need tongues and prophecy and miracles and healings and all that Holy Rollers, Holy Spirit stuff because we have the Bible. So we don't need to hear from God. Since they don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit or even the activity of the Holy Spirit after the death of the Apostle John, which is completely unbiblical, when they say scola scriptura, they mean we only need the Bible. We don't need or have the activity of the Holy Spirit. What they mean is that when somebody claims to have heard from God, when somebody says, I prophesy or I speak in tongues or I God showed me this, what they are trying to, I don't want to put words in their mouth, I'm trying to be as generous as possible, not misrepresent them, but what they're trying to say is that the Bible is the only authority and that nothing else counts. And so they shout, sola scriptura, and I say, yes, yes. Yes, Sola Scriptura. And this book is full of promises and commands and teachings about prophecy and tongues and miracles and Holy Spirit baptism and angels and demons and visions and dreams. Sola Scriptura. Yes, yes, yes. Exuberant worship is commanded. Angel visitations are normal. In Acts, miracles, resurrections from the dead, demon encounters, miracles, healings. And so when a person of Reformed theology, when they say that the gifts of the Spirit, the charismata is the Greek word, which is why people are called charismatics, um, who believe in the action, action and activity of the Holy Spirit, the people who don't believe in that or just refuse to acknowledge it, When they say that the Holy Spirit ended his activity when the Apostle John died because now we had the Bible and we didn't need signs and wonders, we didn't need miraculous proofs of the gospel, we're just required to have faith in this book. Um, When they do that, there's entire swaths of scripture that now don't apply to them. Because 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 would never apply to a Calvinist because why would they need rules for speaking in tongues in church? We don't do that. It doesn't exist. It's of the devil. At least half of the book of Acts, no longer relevant. The command in James that we all speak in tongues, it's not an option. It's a command. Well, that doesn't apply to us. So maybe it's not sola scriptura anymore. It's sola sum scriptura. <laughs> Only some Bible applies to us. So I say, absolutely, only the Bible. Absolutely, Sola Scriptura. And that is why I'm a charismatic, Pentecostal, Holy Spirit-baptized disciple of Jesus. Amen. And I don't say that, for those of you who don't know me, I don't say that because I was raised in a charismatic or Pentecostal church and I just assume that my way is the right way. I was raised in a church that thought the Calvinists weren't legalistic enough. I mean, my mom told me tongues was of the devil, and if I went to a Pentecostal church, they would pull my tongue out and make me speak in tongues. I believe what I believe, and I experience what I experience, and I know what I know because God became real to me. Not because I was taught this stuff as a kid and in high school, and I just assume that those who disagree with me are wrong. Like, I've been on that end where the Holy Spirit stuff is not for today, it's to be completely distrusted. Oral Roberts and Benny Hinn, they place people to fake miracles in their meetings, and I I was told that. And then I saw real healing. I had a a man in the church recently told me, he said, I I might want to be a Calvinist if I didn't have to throw out so much of the Bible to agree with them. So yes, absolutely, sola scriptura, only the Bible, and that's why... We do what we do, because it is the teaching and the command of the Bible. But their concern is legitimate, that only the Bible is authoritative, and and I get that. All spiritual experience, anybody's claim of an angel visit or a dream or I heard from God or whatever has to be held up against the plumb line. It all has to be held against the plumb line, but listen very closely and don't, Don't trip out on what I'm about to say. But when somebody says, I had a dream or a vision or an angel came in the night or uh, I'm speaking in tongues and here's the interpretation of it and all that stuff, it doesn't have to match the Bible. It just can't contradict it. Okay, let me explain before you have a panic attack. The spiritual experiences in the Bible don't match each other. But they just don't contradict. So Isaiah... In 800 B.C., his eyes are opened to the throne room of God in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and uh, uh, sitting on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Hello? He describes seeing God on his throne. Two hundred years later, Ezekiel sees into the throne room of heaven, and what he sees does not match Isaiah's description. He says, I saw like a man on the throne, and there's fire all around him, and there's wheels that I can't even explain, like wheels within wheels, and there's these critters with four faces, and and they spin, and I don't even know what these things are, but but I heard a voice tell me that those were wheels. Like, they don't look like any wheel I've ever seen, but Isaiah never mentioned any wheels. So, my point is, if if your judgment is that this Ezekiel spiritual experience has to match previous scripture. Isaiah's scripture is 200 years old by this point. We have to throw out Ezekiel. And then Daniel sees into the throne room of God and what he sees is different than that. And then what John sees in Revelation is different than that. My point is they don't contradict. They add... To the full description, and we read all four, those are the only four scriptures in the, in the Bible about the throne room of God. We read all four of them together and we get the full picture. Hello? When the gospel writers record Jesus' parables and miracles, they don't perfectly match, but they never contradict. It's like, I've used this experience before, or this example, but if there's a car wreck out here and six of us see it, the cop is going to interview all six of us to get the full picture of what we saw, because we're all going to pick up on different details. And it's not that one is right and the other five are wrong, it's that we get the whole picture by seeing all of the witnesses. Hello? So... Even scripture itself does not require that a person's vision or spiritual experience match what is there in the past. It just can't contradict it. So everyone's personal experience—what you claim you heard from God, or you saw in a dream, or or you, what you get in tongues, or you're going to stand up and prophesy who the next president is—we have to hold that up to the plumb line. Does this stand? vertical next to the Bible but most of what we would say we hear or see from God can't match the Bible because what we would say I heard from God was I think God wants me to sell my house and quit my job and move off to the mission field well there is no scripture that says thou shalt go to China (laughs) but does that line up perfectly with the plumb line of scripture absolutely the new testament is full of commands that we go to every nation tongue and tribe you see my my point it lines up with the plumb line so when when we say we heard god or when we're seeking god to hear god or know god we're not overriding the authority of the bible but we're looking for, like, God, should, is this where I should go to college? Is this a person that I should be wisely dating and looking forward to marriage to? Um, or do you have something else for me? Or the elders are thinking about, well, should we build this sanctuary or should we move? Or how, what would she do with our missions budget? We're not going to find that stuff in a book. We're going to hear it from the Holy Spirit of God that is alive and speaking. Amen? So when you're in the grocery store or you're in the restaurant booth and God moves you to speak up and share your testimony or a blessing or pray for your waitress or the checker at the store, you don't need to wonder, is that really God? Because it already lines up with the plumb line. Yes, share Jesus every chance you get. You don't need to wonder, did I hear from God? Yes, you heard from God. And if you don't, you can still do it. Because it matches the plumb line. yes where people get into real trouble is where what they claim God said does not line up with the plumb line like God called me to leave my husband and marry this other man I mean that kind of BS is just horrendous every pastor's favorite the Lord is setting me free from this oppressive church see you later the Lord told me that you need to do this oh really (laughs) oh yeah Well, we'll see about that. Maybe the Lord would talk to someone else about what you need to do, but don't listen to just one person who tells you what the word of the Lord is for your own life. The people who say, well, we're not married, but God knows we're committed in our heart, so he's okay with our sexual sin. God knows I'm transgender, and he's okay with that. That doesn't match the plumb line at all. So the Christians that refuse to interact with the Holy Spirit and the spirit world always and they usually refuse to admit it but they always end up putting the Bible in the Trinity. And they worship Father, Son and Holy Bible. I had to tell my freshman New Testament class that when I was 19 years old. The professor wasn't around and I said, "This guy, this guy thinks the Trinity is the Father, Son and Holy Bible." Like we don't worship the Bible. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. The Bible is not. The Bible tells us who God is. The Bible is the way to know God, the way to know who Jesus was, and it is perfectly authoritative. So there's some who claim to be Christians and claim to live by sola scriptura, but they refuse to believe and obey parts of the book because they're about the Holy Spirit, and secondly, there are people who claim to be Christians, but they charge that the Bible has errors. And, and some of that is in academia. That doesn't interest any of you, but no serious seminary professor, Bible college professor, believes that the book of Isaiah was written by Isaiah. It was written by three people. and We're not even sure if Isaiah actually existed. Um, you can just tell from the vocabulary and the language and the the sections that are in the book that obviously Isaiah didn't write Isaiah. Oh really? Isaiah says he wrote it. A thousand years from now somebody's going to be looking at everything that written by C.S. Lewis, and they would like, there's no way that this person who wrote Mare christianity also wrote about medieval literature and wrote a children's series because the language and the vocabulary is just so totally different that we're not even sure C.S. Lewis existed because obviously every one of these books is written by a different guy. Uh, I mean, it's absurd how they unwrite the Bible thinking that they are doing historical research and, and being so academic about it that they... They lose their brains. Uh, there are serious doubts in Christian academics that King David even existed. Like, well, there's no evidence that King David existed. Oh, really? Like, a third of the Old Testament doesn't count. <laughs> a hundred of his songs that he wrote doesn't count. That's not evidence. Well, his his name's not found archaeologically anywhere, and uh, we just we're not even sure that David and Solomon's kingdom was actually real. Like oh, so what else is the Bible wrong about? Why would you call yourself a Christian if you don't believe what it says? It's shocking how they explain away miracles and criticize the Bible as being anti-feminist and racist and horrible stuff. And it's just full of errors and we just have to interpret it through our modernist lens and no. Sola Scriptura. This is the authority. It has no errors. This is the plumb line. I straighten myself out based on it, not the other way around. It's not my job to straighten out the Bible. Thirdly, and the greatest error of all is those that judge the Bible as morally wrong. It is uh, a grotesque fad at the moment that people are leaving evangelical Christianity. They call themselves ex-evangelists, and they've just decided that the Bible is ancient, and the morality and is wrong. God is, as interpreted by modern evangelicals who take the Bible literally, um, that God is is evil because he's mean to homosexuals and he's misogynist and he's patriarchal. And these people say, "I'm a Christian, but I support gay marriage. I'm a Christian, but I support abortion. Love is love. Ubu you you without any restriction or border or boundary or." consequence and God is just wide open tolerance and there is no hell and God loves everybody and punishes no one and the people who take the Bible literally are evil there are many many high profile people um, from Christian media and bloggers and music people from 30 years ago and from 5 years ago who just decided that the Bible was as interpreted literally as wrong and they're making a God in their own image. One of them, one of the leaders of the movement, is honest enough to say there is no such thing as a progressive Christian. We all end up becoming totally atheist. You can't charge God with moral error and then have a moral compass. This is the compass. This tells me where truth is. And if there is one sentence of error in this thing none of it can be trusted we do not interpret this through our modern sensibilities and modern ethics this changes our minds and changes our hearts not the other way around so back to scripture 2nd Thessalonians 2 9 to 12 the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles signs and wonders and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing They perish because they refused to love the truth. They perish, they are deceived by Satan and his Antichrist because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. The foundation of knowing the truth is not learning or even believing it is love. I have to love the truth. I have to want to know what is true regardless of what I want to be true. Regardless of what anybody says about it. I have to love this book. I have to love what God has said and that it changes me because I love it. Not that I change it because I judge it. I'm not even trying to learn it. I'm loving it. In that is safety from deception. Next scripture. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve what is excellent. Another way to translate that you may know what is right. Or know what is best. Where does it start? With love. Love for God. And love for other people. And that love grows more and more. In knowledge and discernment. About what is best. And what is excellent. And what is right. If I love God. And I love my neighbor. And I love the truth. I will not be led astray. But it isn't. Um, my learning or my, my classes or my, um, my opinions, it is my love that abounds with knowledge, into knowledge and discernment. And lastly, next scripture, 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14. These words we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I understand that what I have said this morning is foolishness to the world, and some of you in the room think that I'm foolish um, for believing in tongues and miracles and baptism of the Spirit, or that the Bible has no errors, or that morality didn't change since 3,000 years ago. Um, I, I realize that when I, when I say that the Bible's sexual boundaries and gender roles are eternal, uh, like, like, that is absolute foolishness. I, I get that. To the world and a lot of people who call themselves Christians. Um, I would way really rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. So, you can receive my foolishness and take it for what you want. Sola Scriptura. Amen. Lord, we love you and we bless you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is more valuable than gold, that is sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. We love your word. We treasure it. Lord, forgive us for being lazy about reading it. Spurgeon said he could find a thousand men who said they would die for the Bible for every one who would actually open it and read it. May we not be those Christians, Lord, who say we honor Scripture and that we believe that it's true and then not jump out of bed every morning wanting to read it. Lord, I pray that you would give us desire, love. Love for your truth, love for your word, love for your revelation. Faith to believe that every word is true. Humility to let it change us instead of explaining it away. Lord, forgive us for believing what the world says about science and history and gender and sexuality instead of your word. We submit to your commands. We embrace your promises. We obey your word. Sola Scriptura. In Jesus' name, amen.